Our Old Testament reading this morning, very familiar words to most of us, it's the very first words that we find in Scripture as we have it, Genesis 1, beginning at verse 1 and continuing through verse 10, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light and God saw the light that it was good and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear and it was so and God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the waters he called seas and God saw that it was good. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. This morning's New Testament reading comes from the gospel according to Mark. In the fourth chapter, beginning at verse 35 and continuing through verse 41, again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written, On that day, when evening had come, he, Jesus, said to them, his disciples, Let us go across to the other side, the lake. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up. And rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased and there was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who is this that even the wind and sea obey him? Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Who is this then, the disciples said amongst themselves while wringing out their clothes and collecting their wits in the calm after the storm? The answer, of course, is Jesus, which is also the answer to pretty much every question ever asked of us in a children's Sunday school class. And frankly, it's a pretty darn good answer to so many questions that the world is still asking. 
The disciples had just experienced their teacher, their rabbi, their friend, the one who had been preaching of his identity and demonstrating his authority, just pull off a stunning demonstration of his power. You mean, they had asked in awestruck wonder, even the forces of nature itself are subject to his command? Why, yes, yes they are. And even more impressive than that, all that he had just done for them, all that he had just shown to them, wasn't even close to a full exhibition of his power. As fantastic as it was, the taming of these forces of nature was but a metaphor, a parable for an even greater work of power and the ultimate reason why he was here and what he was all about. The story of Jesus stilling a storm on the water is found in all three of the Synoptic Gospels and providentially, it was also found in last week's adult Sunday school lesson. As we were dismissing last week to to come over here to the sanctuary, I was still chewing on the text and the study that we had just done on it, and I remarked that I couldn't wait now until this passage came up again in the Revised Common Lectionary because I was all jazzed up to preach a sermon about it, and well, what do you know? Well, here it is, the very next week. He heard me. When this story is told in Matthew and in Luke, it is done so using slightly different language from here, Mark. But all three accounts in the New Revised Standard Version's translation include the question of the disciples to Jesus, imploring him to act and concluding with the same words. Do you not care that we are perishing? Now that is, I think, a a better translation that is found in the New International Version, which we read as part of last week's lesson across the parking lot, which phrased it this way, don't you care that we are drowning? Of course, Jesus is about to show that he wanted to keep their boat from being completely swamped and seeing his friends drowned, but the translation here in the NRSV, begins to get at a a much more profound question, one that transcends just the immediate danger that they found themselves in during that tempest on the lake. As we had some fun, yes, we had some fun during last week's Sunday School lesson, reading about the storm coming up when the wind and the waves suddenly built as they are Prone to do, we learned, on the Sea of Galilee for a variety of atmospheric reasons. The disciples aboard that boat found themselves in quite a pickle. It was an all-hands-on-deck moment, and over yonder is their leader sound asleep. Exasperated, they woke him, as if to say, hey! Aren't you going to get up and and get to bailing out this boat with the rest of us before she sinks? Or don't you care that we're all just about to die here? 
The truth is that Jesus was even more concerned than they were. It was the reason that he had come to be with them. It is the very reason that he has come for us. I was so intrigued last week by the turn of phrase that was on the lips of the disciples here in the gospel according to Mark that I went back to the original Greek word which the author of this gospel used while telling his story. So indulge me for just a moment here. That word is apolumetha, which is derived from the Greek root apolumai, meaning to be destroyed. Or to put it another way, it means being brought to nothing, undone, uncreated. There is another similar and quite more common word that derives from the Greek root olamai. That's without the AP at the front. But by consciously choosing to put that prefix on this verb, the sense of the action of the verb is heightened and an entry in a famous biblical concordance notes that those who perish means those who are exposed not simply to death, but to eternal death. There is, it would seem then, a deeper meaning, a double entendre here. The notion of descending to the deep in death was not the fate that the righteous Hebrews fancied. The psalmist had said as much generations before when in some of the most familiar verses of lamentation in all that book, he inquires in anguish of God, what profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be gracious unto me, O Lord, be my helper. In ancient Hebrew cosmology, the waters were symbolic of chaos. Hence, in that Genesis creation narrative that we heard again earlier this morning, God divides and conquers the waters, subduing them and relegating them to their appointed places. When, when a few chapters later, Noah is found to be singularly righteous, God unleashes these agents of destruction and then, after 40 days, begins to once again constrain them with a covenantal promise that such a scene would never again be permitted to recur. Here on the Sea of Galilee, the men were bobbing about on the water in danger of being consumed, swallowed by the waters just like Jonah, only in a lake, with no fish big enough to save them. But their salvation was nearer and more fully secured than they knew. In the ninth chapter of the book of Revelation, at the other end of Scripture, an angel blows a trumpet, and the shaft of the bottomless pit is opened. It contains, we're told, hordes of vicious creatures 
and the angel of the bottomless pit, the king who reigns over them all, is called in Greek, Apollyon, the destroyer. This character has dominion over forces which inflict pain, which do harm, which cause grief and sow chaos exactly at odds with the creative, redemptive, loving work the triune God has dedicated himself to carrying out. All around their boat on the turbulent waters of the Sea of Galilee, a microcosm of this grand drama played itself out, both literally and symbolically. The cry of the disciples, do you not care that we are perishing, is met by Jesus with an affirmative response, a yes that far surpasses his friends' wants and their desires. Even though they couldn't grasp the immensity of what was being accomplished by this miracle, it would have eternal implications for them all. Jesus' battle that day was against the wind and the waves, but his war was and is ongoing against the destroyer. A war in which full victory is assured and is being accomplished even now. We, my brothers and sisters in Christ, We've been there with the disciples, haven't we? For some of us, maybe we were there quite recently. Maybe we're there right now. Maybe we've been there quite often. Maybe not so much. But at one time or another, along the path of our journeys through life, we have encountered storms, times when we were frightened that the waters around us would overwhelm us and that we would be lost. And in those moments, we have cried out, Lord, do you not care? Do you not see? Aren't you going to do something? The answer we got, the answer we get, may not be the answer that we're hoping for or that we expect. Jesus may or may not have bailed us out of whatever dicey situation we found ourselves in at the time, but he absolutely cares that we are perishing. That is, after all, the reason that Jesus was sent of the Father. He alone has both the compassion and the capacity to save us, to keep us from perishing, to keep us from being undone, uncreated, eternally destroyed. In my congregational email this week, I announced that we had recruited a wonderful guest preacher for our homecoming celebration. Please come on the 3rd of October and hear a good sermon for a change. The Reverend Dr. Thomas W. Curry III will be with us. I've known him, Tom, for nearly 20 years. Among many of his talents and accomplishments, he is an author whose works include the 1997 book, Searching for Truth, Confessing Christ in an Uncertain World. In the years since its publication, it has only become more compelling and urgent. 
In its pages, he quotes a fellow native Texas theologian, fellow by the name of Dr. Ralph Wood, who delivered a convocation sermon the year this book was printed at Samford University, in which he told of how even after having received a PhD from the University of Chicago and becoming a faculty member at another Midwestern college, where he said he hoped to turn my naive Christian students into fellow sophisticates like me, he had grown perhaps a bit too, as we said in the South, full of himself. But, as Tom puts it, on the way to the heavenly city of enlightened philosophy, Wood was waylaid by the most unwanted stranger of all, a Baptist preacher by the name of Warren Carr. In Wood's words, it was not Warren Carr's sharp mind and wild wit that drew me to him, it was his voice. He spoke with authority that I had never heard at the University of Chicago. The preacher did not announce to me the tired tidings of moral effort. He did not tell me to become socially and politically righteous. He declared the unsurpassable good news that all the sophistication and morality in the world would not save me or anyone else. My only hope, he declared, was the world's only hope, salvation by God's grace alone through the gift of faith in Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, no matter what thorny problems are facing us, no matter what storms are blowing or what forces align themselves against us, the story of Jesus acting to tame the wind and the waves may serve for us as a timely reminder, no matter what crisis we face, and enlightened educators cannot save us, community activists cannot save us, executive orders cannot save us, legislators cannot save us, the media cannot save us, Big tech cannot save us. The Hollywood cult of personality cannot save us. Sports legends cannot save us. All the superheroes in the Marvel Cinematic Universe together cannot save us. The religious leaders in this or any other faith cannot save us. The great illusion of this world is laid bare, we cannot save ourselves. Only Christ alone can speak the words peace. Be still, and it shall be. So why then do we not turn to the one who can still be found right here, in the same boat with his friends, and raise to him a cry for our time. I think we may be surprised at the ways which he will answer we who are short on faith and long on fear. And for that, we may truly say,
Thanks be to God. And amen.